In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. One way to reflect on the epistle and gospel for each Sunday is to consider what kind of connection there is between both these lessons. One connection that jumps out at me every year on this particular Sunday is this connection between something St. Paul says in the epistle and what Jesus does in the gospel. The epistle from Ephesians tells us that God is, quote, able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. And then in this gospel story of a funeral, Jesus certainly does exceedingly abundantly above anyone who was present in that crowd would have thought to ask or would have thought even. So how do we apply this truth to to our lives? How does God do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think? How does he raise us from the dead? One mistake might be to assume that we can expect this same miracle in our lives. I think about this sometimes at funerals. You're in a funeral home, you're looking at an open casket, looking at a body, and silently within myself, some of them want to say, arise. But it's never happened. And I don't think it's just because I lack sufficient faith in, in my prayer. The truth is that the resurrection of this young man did not solve the overarching problem of death. He died again. Even if God did something like that at all of our funerals, there would still be another funeral, although it would be very good for the mortuary business. The man in the gospel was raised to mortal life. He died again. The promise of the epistle applies to our own resurrection. God is doing exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think because he has already raised us from the dead through baptism and faith. As Romans says, we were buried with Christ in baptism in which we are also raised through faith. The life that we now live in Christ and the Spirit gives us the promise of a future resurrection when the life that was planted in baptism will come to its completion. In the wonderful words of 1 Corinthians 15, quote, We shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead we raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We don't always see the exceedingly abundant work of God in our lives because our eyes are focused on time and the goals of life in this world. We spend our lives running from the unavoidable pain of life. We avoid painful truths because they might make someone uncomfortable. We want to find a drug for every disease of mind, body, and soul so we never have to experience any pain. We try to stay perpetually young focusing on the things 
that will build happiness in time. The cycle of news that comes to us in the world keeps us perpetually anxious about the various conflicts and issues that are around us. We forget that these things have always been in the world and will always be. In the great anxiety of our culture, we seldom hear the real overarching truth, the central truth of our lives. We are all going to die, and we can't ever be exactly sure when that's going to be. So we really ought to be focusing on the life that is eternal and immortal, the, the life that Christ has given us that will not end. And the failure to see how God is doing exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think results from this false orientation. We can describe it like this. The world is living a story that begins at birth and ends at death. We try to bring our faith into that story. In that story, faith is good if it makes me a more successful worker or a better parent, or helps me achieve some greater measure of peace or happiness in time. And then at the end, it gives me a consolation prize called heaven. However, all the focus is on time. Every goal is temporal, and eternity is more or less an afterthought in the world story. <clears throat> Life in Christ begins in baptism, and conversion, and will come to its completion, its telos, in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. The proper focus of life in Christ and the Spirit is on how things in time are brought into the kingdom, how temporal things <clears throat> are used to prepare us for eternal things. God is forming in us the eternal virtues of faith, hope, and love. God is teaching us perseverance, which is the essential characteristic of genuine faith. He is not taking away our pain, nor is he guaranteeing us success in every endeavor. He is saving us through our pain. In Christ, <clears throat> our pain is united with the pain of the cross in the hope of resurrection. As 2 Corinthians says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. This is how God is doing exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. To see and experience this power of God in us, we must learn to live in the right story. And this is what, <clears throat> what we call the life of prayer is all about. We gather for the Eucharist on Sunday to remember that time begins and ends in Christ, who is the Alpha and the Omega. Eucharist reorients us. It brings us back to the narrative that begins in baptism and ends in resurrection. Here, 
as we present ourselves on the altar with Christ and receive again the bread of life, we remember our baptism. But we also look forward as Christ descends to meet us in the sacrament and we meet him. He raises us from the dead now in anticipation of that moment when he will ultimately raise us and give us bodies like his body. As we experience again our dying and rising with Christ in the life of prayer, there is a reorientation of our experience of time. Rather than trying to fit God into our temporal urgencies, we learn gradually, slowly, how to bring our time into the kingdom. And this reorients our prayers. We will not only pray for healing, we will pray for God to work through our sickness and our pain. We will not only pray for success, we will pray for success, but not only that, we'll also pray for God to work through our failures. We will focus on giving glory to God, doing good work to his glory, and loving our neighbor as ourselves in all we do, and not just on making more money or achieving some other measure of temporal success. As Jesus said, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We can only reorient our lives this way through disciplines of prayer, through which we continually remember and experience again the grace of our baptism, and through which we continually reorient our lives towards the goal of Christ, his resurrection, and our resurrection. We live in a highly anxious world. We can only overcome that anxiety by coming out of the world's story and entering into the new story of life in Christ. We can only do this through prayer. Today's epistle contains some beautiful language. It is essentially a prayer that St. Paul offers for those to whom he is writing and by extension to us. He prays that his readers might be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. This sounds like the prayer of a mystic in raptured contemplation. In fact, St. Paul was in jail when he wrote it, and he was experiencing significant inner turmoil and outward discomfort. And this makes the opening words of the epistle all the more remarkable. He wrote, I ask that you faint not or do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. How often does a man in prison write to those who are free, telling them not to lose heart? St. Paul was able to do this because he was living in the story that began in his conversion on the Damascus Road and his baptism that happened shortly afterwards. 
He kept his eye on the goal of the return of Christ, the resurrection, and the completion of God's new creation. He saw, therefore, what God is doing, and therefore he was able to experience the peace that comes from living in that story rather than the anxiety of the world. We can view the gospel story as an image of our own lives. We were dead in our sins, <coughs> full of hopelessness, carried along with the rest of the world in the sad march towards the grave, weeping and mourning as we went. But Jesus came into our lives and touched us in our baptisms, and through faith he said, Arise. And every time we come to the altar of God, Jesus repeats this message to us. As Ephesians says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. For God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work in us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.